You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. So today we are wrapping up a series. We are in the third and final week of a series called Immeasurably More. And in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at a promise that's included in a prayer that a man named the Apostle Paul included in a letter that he wrote to a community of Jesus followers in the ancient city of Ephesus way back in the first century AD. And we read the portion of the prayer last week and we wanna do it again because this is how he ended this prayer. This is what Paul writes. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, there it is, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. And Paul recognized something so important. He recognized that this God of the universe, this God that we serve, he is able to do infinitely more than we could ever dream or imagine. And when we actually look back at the 32-year history of this community, I think that's true for us. And that's starting with just a handful of people. Steve Andrews, one of our co-founders, going over several summers and knocking on more than 2,000 doors to what we are today. And not just, and to forget the numbers, but just the impact and the lives that have been changed all around the world. I think that's true. And three weeks ago at Easter, we talked about the fact that if we are a Jesus follower, we're not just simply meant to be looking up at heaven, staring up at heaven, waiting for the day that we get there, but rather we're to be people who take this message of hope and healing, of power and of love, and we enter into this world and we communicate it through our words, through our actions, through our entire lives. And we as a community, we believe in this, this moving out aspect so deeply that it's actually a part of our mission statement. And if you're relatively new to Kensington, this is our mission. This is why we exist. And it's so that everyone, everyone is coming up to see everyone transformed and mobilized. There's that word mobilization by not anyone, but by Jesus. And when we kicked off the series, we talked about the Jesus portion of the statement, which is the most important, it's foundational. You take that away and we cease to exist the most important. And then last week, we talked about what it means to be transformed. And today, we're gonna be talking about what it means to be mobilized. And as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of a story of when Robin and I, we have a ton of stories of when we lived in this region of the country. But it was when we lived in northern New Jersey, right across the river from New York. And I remember when we first moved there, we asked a friend of ours to sort of give us the lay of the land, to tell us, give us the do's and don'ts of living in this area because we had never lived in the New York, New Jersey area before. And immediately he turned to Robin, one of the kindest people I know, and said to her, don't look at people in the eye and don't smile at them or else they'll think you want something from them. And so for the first handful of months, all we did was we just walked around like this. That's it, right? And it's, it's the gift that the fact that we didn't run into a tree. And so... A couple of months after we actually moved there, my in-laws came to visit. And you have to understand that my mother-in-law is one of the friendliest and most extroverted people on this planet. It's probably where Robin gets it. And her goal during her visit, I think they were staying with us maybe a week, maybe 10 days. Her goal during that time was to get to know, was to meet every single one of our neighbors. But when I found that out, I was afraid. I was very afraid for her because my mother-in-law has spent her, her entire life in small rural towns in the upper Midwest where, if you can imagine this, people actually smile and wave at each other on the street. And sometimes they even do this towards strangers. 
People actually stop in the grocery store and have full-fledged conversations. And I was thinking to her, I was thinking in my mind, if you go out and you actually try to meet all of our neighbors, you are going to get eaten alive. You're just not going to make it back. And so I was afraid for her. And so one day, but nothing was going to stop her. And so the next day, she went out, and she goes out for a walk, and she comes back a short time later, and she tells us, I met your neighbor across the street. And then she proceeds to tell us this woman's entire life story. And then the next day, she went out and met more neighbors. The next day, she went and met more neighbors, and on and on it went. And the final, or actually the day before they were supposed to leave, we're in our kitchen and we're doing who knows what, right? We're just doing some things, maybe making a meal or putting away the dishes. And immediately she just dropped everything and she ran out the door because she saw the last neighbor that she had yet to meet. And she met that person. So her goal accomplished. She checked off that. But this is the thing, that with my mother-in-law, sure, she enjoys people. But the reason why she does this, whether it's in suburban New Jersey or rural Minnesota, the reason why she does this is because it's through her life. She has this passion and this desire that through her life that she would communicate the life-transforming message of Jesus. And she does this through her hospitality, through the love that she, and the kindness that she exudes. People are just simply drawn to her and they feel it. And this is also what Jesus told us to do as well. And after Jesus rose from the dead, he spent 40 days on this earth. And during those 40 days, what he did was that he continued to appear to people. And he also continued to teach people and perform miracles. And so he was doing a lot of work during those 40 days. But before returning to heaven, he gave his followers a very specific command as to what to do with this hope that they now had. And this is what he said to him. And, they, and he said to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And so what he's saying is this work that I'm about to give you, you don't have to do it by yourself, but you will have the most extraordinary helper to come alongside of you. And then he tells us, this is what I want you to do. And you will be my witnesses. And so he's saying, this message that you have, this is how I want you to communicate it. And then he tells us where to communicate it. Because he says that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And I got my driver's license when I was 16 years old. And four days later, somehow I convinced my mom to let me take her car so that I could go play golf with a friend of mine. And I grew up in Vancouver. And in Vancouver, not many highways, mostly local roads. And so I remember I was driving home and it was rush hour, which meant that there were cars everywhere. And I was driving down this really, really busy street and I needed to turn left onto this equally busy street but there was no turn signal. And so the only way that you could actually make that left turn was that when your light turned green, you basically had to inch out into the middle of the intersection, and then when your light turned yellow and oncoming traffic stopped, then you could make that left turn. And many times, you know, people run yellows, people run reds, and so many times you'd be just sitting there and it's just a full-fledged red, and then finally you could make the turn. And that's just what life was like, and everybody did that. And so my light turned green, moved out into the intersection, and I'm a new driver, so I'm trying to be really, really careful, and my light turned yellow, and I'm looking at oncoming traffic, and they started to slow down. But I checked, checked again, checked three times, and by that time, the light was probably red for like five seconds. And so finally, I began to slowly make the turn, and I glanced back, and when I did, there was this huge van just barreling towards me. And at that point, there was nothing I could do, and we collided. And we collided so violently, I actually bounced off of him, and I flew three lanes over, and I hit the curb. 
And the car that I was driving, it didn't have any airbags. And so my, and the collision was so violent that my steering wheel went from out here to all the way here. And I sort of had to shimmy out of the car. And of course, the police eventually came and they were trying to figure out what had happened and who was responsible. And this guy, this van driver, he was a delivery guy. He lied and he told police that when he had entered into the intersection that it had been a yellow light. But luckily, so he's trying to pin it on me. But luckily for me, there were several people who witnessed the accident and they stopped and they shared with police what they had seen, heard, and experienced. And when you actually think about a witness, that's exactly what a witness is supposed to do. Because a witness's job is not difficult. It's not rocket science. And when you actually think about it, it's very, very simple. It's not to make anything up, but rather it's to honestly and accurately to share what we have seen, heard, and experienced. That's it. And that's what Jesus is telling us to do. And he's saying that if you are my follower, I want you to be my witness. It's not to make anything up but rather to honestly and accurately to share what we have seen, heard, and experienced Jesus do in our life. And when you actually think about it, it takes the pressure all off of us. Because when it comes to what Jesus is saying is, I want you to just share your story with other people. That's all he wants us to do. And when it comes to your story and when it comes to my story, who's the greatest expert in the world? We are. And so it's not like he's asking us to talk about something that we know nothing about, but something that we are absolute experts in. Don't make anything up, he says, but just share what I have done in your life. And then he tells us, I want you to be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He's saying, I want you to do this anywhere and everywhere that you find yourself. And so after Jesus rose from the dead, he spends 40 days on this earth, and then he returned to heaven. And when he returned to heaven, his followers here on this earth, they started doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. And amazing things started happening. That thousands of people started joining this movement. And the church grew exponentially. But then what started to happen was that persecution broke out. And these Jesus followers, they were being beaten, imprisoned, some of them even killed. And so they were all, for the most part, all sort of congregated in the city of Jerusalem. And what this persecution did was that it forced them out into the surrounding regions, into other parts of the world. And in many ways, it was an amazing, amazing thing that happened. Because as they went out to different parts of the Roman Empire, to different parts of the world, what they also did was that they carried this message of transformation, this message of hope, this message of Jesus with them. And one of the people who left Jerusalem was a guy by the name of Philip. And he went to a region known as Samaria. And at that time, and Samaritans and Jews, they did not get along. They had a long, bitter, and contentious history. It's sort of like how we feel towards people who live in Ohio. Except it's like 10 times worse. Like 100 times worse, I would even say. Right? Sort of a picture of that. And so because Jews absolutely, they hated Samaritans. And that they viewed them as half-breeds. They viewed them as people who followed and believed in a total illegitimate religion. But Philip, he went. And he told them about who this Jesus person was. And beautiful things started to happen. And that so many people made a decision to follow Jesus. And that people were being healed of terrible diseases. And evil spirits were being cast out of people. And so in the midst of all of these amazing things happening, you would have thought that God would have wanted Philip to stay exactly where he was to continue this work. But no, God wanted him to do something different. And this is what he actually said to him. But an angel of the Lord spoke 
to Philip, it says. And this is what God says to Philip. Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. And that word south is an important word because the Greek word that's used there, it literally means in the middle of the day. And so it likely refers to the position of the sun at midday. And at midday, it would have been the hottest, most uncomfortable time of the day. And so God is saying to Philip, this is when I want you to go. And where he wanted him to go was to this desert road. And there were two roads that led from Jerusalem to Gaza. And this was the road that nobody ever took. So God's basically saying to Philip, I want you to go to a place during a time when no one is going to be there. And imagine being Philip. All of these extraordinary things are happening. People are coming to know Jesus. People are being healed. Their lives are being transformed. And you're thinking, do you want me to go there? There's nothing happening there. It's in the middle of Ohio. Sorry to anyone who's in Ohio, from Ohio. Stop making Ohio jokes, right? But there's nothing going on there. And so why would I ever want to go there? But he did. And he took the step out and he said, I trust you and I'm going to go. And something amazing, transformational happened because this is who he met. And it says, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all, and he was in charge of all of her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And so what a eunuch is, is a man who was born without properly functioning reproductive organs or had them removed. And so this guy would have been no threat. He would pose no threat to the queen. But he wasn't just any person. He was an incredibly powerful and influential person. He was the CFO for the queen of Ethiopia. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship God. And he's going home and he's sitting in his chariot, probably taking a break. And in his chariot, it's not like the guy was scrolling through TikTok or reading ESPN or the Wall Street Journal. He's reading the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And Philip sees him. And then this is what the Holy Spirit says to Philip. He says to him, then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. What he's basically saying is go up and talk to this guy. And so Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And if you've ever read the Old Testament book of Isaiah, you probably can empathize with the guy. It's a little bit difficult to read. So he's like, I have no idea what this means. And what he was reading was that he was reading about what Jesus, a prophecy about what Jesus would do when he actually came to this earth. And mind you, these words that are written in the book of Isaiah about Jesus were written 700 years before Jesus would ever step into human history. And this is what he was reading about Jesus. And that Jesus was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And so the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is this prophet Isaiah talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot, and then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And so what's happening is, is out on the road in the middle of nowhere, this man, Philip, who had left Jerusalem and had left what was happening in Samaria, he goes and he shares the message of Jesus with this foreigner, 
with this Ethiopian eunuch. And this guy has his life completely transformed. And they're just going along this road. And he's like, hey, here's some water. Why don't you baptize me? And when we are baptized, what we're declaring is that we are a follower of Jesus, that Jesus has transformed our lives. And for all of you who are being baptized, when you go into that water, that's what you're declaring as well. You're declaring that I'm a follower of Jesus and that he has completely changed my life. But this is something else that I truly believe and something that we see all throughout the scriptures. And when we actually look at human history, we see examples of this over and over and over again. And what we see is, is that when, person, when one person's life is changed by Jesus so often that the power of that transformation doesn't just simply rest with them, but there is a ripple effect that moves outwards and it impacts also the lives of other people as well. And I truly believe that was the case with this eunuch as well because this eunuch was a powerful man. So he wasn't there by himself, but he had an entourage. He had people with him. And when Philip was explaining the message of Jesus to this eunuch, I truly believe that there were other people who heard that message as well. And then they saw this radical transformation. Imagine being one of the people in his party. And you see this amazing transformation happen in your boss. And then he gets baptized? Of course you have questions. Of course that has an impact on you. And then when this eunuch went back, he probably told his family, his friends, his colleagues, maybe even the queen of Ethiopia what had happened. Because when something amazing happens to us as human beings, what do we want to do? We want to share it with other people. When I, want, when I eat good pizza, I don't want to just keep it to myself. I text people about it. I put it up on social media, and we're talking about, peep, and we're talking about pizza. And this guy's life was radically transformed. And so we have to imagine that he told so many other people. And this is what we see Jesus do over and over and over again. And that he changes us. But his invitation to us is don't just hang on to it yourself. But I want you to move out. And I want you to also share this message with the people around you as well. And back in December of 2000, Steve Andrews, who's one of our co-founders, and Craig Mays, they both went to India to meet with a man by the name of Jaya Sankar and to see and explore what his organization, Christ Evangelical Mission, was doing. And it was incredible, and it was an incredible trip in the life of our community because it really laid the foundation for the global strategy that we have today. And India ultimately became our first global partner. But this past week, we were absolutely heartbroken and saddened to hear that Jaya, and this is a picture of him, Jaya passed away this past week. And a couple days ago, I was meeting with Craig Mays, and he told me a story of how actually Jaya encountered Jesus, and it's probably one of the more extraordinary stories that I've ever heard. And he said that when Jaya was growing up, when he was a lot younger, he was searching for the truth, searching for exactly what is exactly truth. There must be a God out there, and I want to meet him. And so he was exploring all these different religions, religions, all of these different belief systems, and all of them came up empty for him. And along the way, some people actually even took advantage of him. And so in one moment, he found himself so disillusioned, so discouraged, so incredibly hopeless, thinking, is there truth out there? Where is this God out there? Because I believe there's a God, but who is he? And I want to meet him. And he felt so discouraged and hopeless that he would never meet him, that his plan was to take his own life. And so he laid down on the railroad tracks, and he was waiting for the train to come. And... At one point, he could feel the vibrations of the oncoming train and he, and he braced himself for what was about to happen. But then in the next moment, he found himself 100 feet away 
in a field, not knowing how he got there. And then, without him knowing, what ultimately happened to him is that Jesus appeared to him in a vision and said to him, I am the one, Jaya, that you have been looking for your entire life. And in that moment, Jaya made a commitment to follow Jesus and to share and spread a message that literally had saved his life that day. And over the years, let me tell you that God has used Jaya to be an incredible force in India and in the surrounding regions and really when we actually think about it, all around the world. And under his leadership, his organization, Christ Evangelical Mission has had a huge impact. They started a hospital that probably has served more than a million people in that area. He started in an orphanage that has changed the lives of thousands of young children. There's a training school there that equips people to go out and to start churches. Hundreds of churches have been started in that region. I don't even know how many people have heard the gospel because of him and him starting this school. And there's also an elderly home because in India, in that region of India, some elderly, they're discarded and they're abandoned by their families and they have nowhere to go and no one to care for them. And so this house and the staff, they go out and they actually bring people in and they care for them. And this is the impact that Jaya had. And so in a moment, what we're gonna do is we wanna pray. We wanna pray for Jaya or Jaya's family and his loved ones. And also in this community, there are people as well who are deeply hurting because Jaya had such a huge impact. And he changed the lives of so many people, even here at Kensington in this pocket of the world. But at the same time, the reason why we can have hope, the reason why we can find comfort and we can have peace and even joy in this time is because we know that he is with the one that he loves more than anyone else. And when we actually look at his life, he lived such a beautiful life, devoting his life to spreading a message that not only transformed his, but he truly believed with every fiber of his being that it could transform the world. What we're talking about today of not just holding on to this message of Jesus, but moving out and sharing it with the world around us, that's exactly what Jaya did. And it's also what Jesus invites us into. And that when he says, I changed your life, and I've given you this incredible gift, and whenever we receive a gift, we're not meant to just simply hold on to it because that would be the most selfish thing in the world. It's that when we get a beautiful gift, it's always meant for us to live like this to go out and to move out in the places, the spaces, amongst the people that we find ourselves. And through our words, through the decisions, through the lives that we live, that we would communicate this life-transforming message. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.